You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. It's not the passage we're going to be in together today, but would you look on the screen behind me? I'm going to put up from the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 35 through 36. Let me read this to you and then tell you why I'm reading this to you. The nations around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. On the stage behind me, there are 24 flags. These 24 flags represent the 24 nations that we know of from which our congregation comes. 24. If I missed your flag, I'm sorry. Email me this week and we'll Amazon it in as quick as we can and and, and get it up there. Little old Waco, Texas. In a church hidden away, you have to want to get to in a neighborhood 24 nations represented by you this morning. The nations need to understand this. God has brought back to life that which was desolate. He has brought to life that which was dead. His son, Jesus Christ, the destroyed body of Jesus Christ, as Ezekiel might say, was raised to new life. Let the nations be glad. So glad that you have chosen to be here today on this resurrection morning. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people around the globe today worshiping the resurrected Jesus Christ. Our small voice just joins in with the chorus of this earth and the chorus of heaven that he is risen, that Jesus Christ is alive. I know that a lot of you have come from a lot of different places, maybe visiting, maybe a lot of you are certainly from from Waco. A lot of backgrounds, a lot of journeys, a lot of things that, that brought you here this morning. And I would imagine there's a, a varying degree here today of, of where you are with Jesus and where your faith is or your faith is not and what you think of Christ. And maybe Christ is your everything and has, has given you life or you might be here today kind of wondering who Jesus is. But there's one thing, there's a common denominator within all of us this morning in this house. It's the common denominator of the scope of humanity We all want hope. And as Shawshank Redemption reminds us, hope is a good thing. Maybe it's the best of things. And this morning, I want to declare to you, I want to proclaim to you that Jesus loves stepping in into hopeless situations, into the lives of hopeless people and bringing hope because we're all looking for hope. No matter your situation, no matter your background, no matter what brought you here today or what you brought in today, I guarantee you this, Jesus loves to take hopeless situations. Jesus loves to take hopeless people and fill them up with his hope. In fact, he is perfect at this. He loves this. He longs to bring hope to those who feel like they have no hope. And this morning, through the story of resurrection, I'd like to remind you of a few things, or maybe for a few of you today, or many of you today, tell you something for the very first time. As we talk resurrection, here's the first thing I want you to know. Hope showed up in a place of grief. The resurrected Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings, he showed up in a a place of grief. Now Mary has gone to the tomb to grieve. 
She has gone to the tomb to prepare the body of, of, her, of her slain Savior. And she gets there and he's not there. He's not in the tomb. So with your copy of God's word, let's pick up at this point in the story. Let's go to the gospel of John together. John chapter 20, relatively new to church. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's go to the 20th chapter together. If you forgot your, your Bible this morning, maybe you can go into your smartphone and, and get a Bible app real quick or just peer over the shoulder of the person in front of you if you want to. They won't mind. Let's look at John chapter 20 together and begin in verse 11. Because Jesus specializes in transforming hopeless people in hopeless settings. John chapter 20, let's begin in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, a relatively interesting question, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her that same interesting question, the kind of a strange question to ask in a cemetery, woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Wow, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. So here she is coming to a place to grieve, and she finds hope there. Again, she's asked that unusual question in the cemetery two times. Why are, you, why are you crying? When we lose someone or when you and I lose something, we grieve. And when we grieve, we cry. We grieve when there's a void in our life. When we grieve when someone has left or someone has passed away. Many in this house today, you know grief. And I want you to understand this morning from this story that Jesus loves to step into our grief. Jesus will step into your tears. Jesus will take a place in, in the middle of your loss, whatever that might be for some of you here today. This is, this is what hope and what resurrection is all about. Hope shows up in this place of, of grief. Jesus steps into our tears. And I want to proclaim this to you. Jesus is not only powerful, he's personal. And he cares for your story. Even though some today might be walking through grief, in fact, maybe every day for you is just a remembrance of something that, that once was, before that person left, before they walked out, before they died. And the constant reminder of Resurrection Sunday morning is that the hope of Jesus Christ shows up even in the middle of our grief. Easter says that Jesus has the power to bring hope even into our darkest places of loss. Hope showed up in the middle of grief, in the place of grief. Here's the second thing that we see hope doing on resurrection Sunday morning. Hope showed up in a place of fear. I mean, the disciples are afraid. They're holed up in a room. Doors are locked. They think the next knock on that door is gonna be someone coming to take them to their cross. They've already gone back and forth to, to the tomb. They know that Jesus is not there anymore, but they are fearful for their lives. Let's pick up the story now here in John chapter 20, verse 19. And on the evening of that day, the day of resurrection, the first day of the week, 
the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Locked doors are no barrier to the one who just unlocked his own grave. So Jesus comes and he, he stands among them and he says to them, and I love the very first words that he says, peace. Peace be with you. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. That's probably an understatement. Glad when they, when they saw the Lord. I mean, they were fearing their enemies and their best friends showed up. Jesus comes and he stands among them and he's telling them and showing them that the body, his body, his resurrected body, let me tell you this Highland, transformation is about to happen in that room. Because these men who are so afraid, these men who are, who are locked behind doors, there's about to be a transformation in their lives in such a way that these men will go to the ends of the earth declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the resurrected Jesus. Many of them, most of them will lose their lives in telling the gospel. That's how convinced they were that they had seen the resurrected Lord. Many hiding in this room would one day be martyrs for the faith. This shows to all of us this morning that the presence of Christ drives away fear. Remember when you were a kid? Some of you who are kids, you don't have to think back very far, but I guess for some of us, most of us, you have to kind of think back to childhood. Remember when you were a kid, there was something probably, at least I'm hoping so, for the order of this story, that there was something that you were like irrationally fearful of. Like you look back now and you're going, I can't, why was I so afraid of fill in the blank? Well, I'm about to be unbelievably transparent with you, like in a really full room this morning. I just realized how many of you are out there. I can't see you very well in the lights from my face. Now I can see you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be real transparent. Let me tell you what I was so irrationally afraid of when I was a kid. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I was so scared of Bigfoot, like Sasquatch. And I can tell you why. I can tell you the exact moment I became fearful of Bigfoot. Some of y'all who grew up in the 80s, you might recall this. There was a show on Monday night on ABC called That's Incredible. And after That's Incredible, one night on a Monday night, I was watching TV and a documentary showed up right after That's Incredible called In Search of Bigfoot. Remember that? It was made in 1978. I just aged myself really well out there. In Search of Bigfoot. And there's a scene in that little TV show, In Search of Bigfoot, where there's two kids about the age that I was when I was watching this show. I don't know where my parents were at this point, being terrible parents, let me watch In Search of Bigfoot. And there's a scene that these kids are watching TV and there's a knock on the door and the kids come to the door and they open it up and there is like six foot ten Bigfoot. And I was done. Like for three years, I was done. Like anytime someone came to our door, I knew it was Bigfoot, like ready to come and get me, to take me away. And so for all these years, I was, I was so scared of, of Bigfoot. And then for those of y'all who also grew up in the awesome 80s, Harry and the Hendersons is released as a movie. And that triggers me again. So, you know, I need all kinds of support groups at that point. And so it was amazing that I just had this irrational fear. And now, in God's humor, right next door to my office, is six foot eight associate pastor, Mark Weibel. He shows up in my door, doorway sometimes and I jump. Mark, you grow a beard and I'm out of here. You know, I'm no longer here because I, there's something about that, that I know I'm 50 years old and I'm still remembering how, how scared I was of, of Bigfoot. It's amazing how irrational our fears were when we were young. And it's amazing how many fears we keep with us as adults. 
fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of not measuring up to the standard, fear of not being able to control what's going to happen tomorrow, fear of the unknown. Those don't seem as irrational for some reason as adults. There was fear in the hearts of these disciples. And please listen to this. The thing they needed most is what Jesus brings to the table. Peace. Don't let this get lost in you. The very first words spoken to these spooked brothers upstairs was peace. Now, the ladies have already gone back and forth. They've already heard from Jesus. They're brave, but here's the guys. They're holed up, locked behind the doors. And the very first word that the resurrected Jesus says to fearful men is peace. I would submit to you this morning that perhaps the thing that you're looking for the most or lacking the most in your life is the very thing that Jesus Christ can bring, and that's peace. Hope showed up in, in the middle of, of, of grief. Hope showed up in this, in this place of fear, but I also want you to see that hope showed up in a place of doubt. I mean, there was somebody in that group of disciples who doubted that this truly happened. Thomas wasn't upstairs when Jesus first came in. So let's pick up the story here in John chapter 20, verse 24, because Thomas wasn't in the room the first time. And the disciples are trying to tell Thomas they have seen the resurrected Lord and he's not buying it. Look at John 20, verse, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, look how sad these words are. I will never believe. That's pretty emphatic. I will never believe. I assume that Thomas represents some people here today. There's just doubts, major doubts. And let me say to you something you don't hear maybe a lot of preachers say, it's okay to doubt. It's okay to have seasons of doubt, times of doubt. Thomas was just looking for some evidence. Let's pick up the story again in, in John 20, verse 26. So eight days later, so a, a week plus a little change has transpired. His disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, here comes Jesus again. Doors aren't really an issue for him, it seems. Jesus came and, and stood among them. And he said it again, that the very thing they were still lacking, Jesus brings to them, peace be with you. And because he is Lord, he understood the doubts of Thomas. So he turned to Thomas and said, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Thomas, Thomas touched the side of the resurrected Jesus for every doubter here today. How convinced was Thomas? Church history tells us he would go as far as to India to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, would lose his life there for not backing down telling the story, the good news, the gospel of a resurrected king. That's how convinced this doubter was. 
Some of y'all here today might be familiar with the name Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel for 13 years was an award-winning journalist for the Chicago Trib, was a graduate of, of Yale Law School, was an investigative journalist and, and loved to, to kind of go in and dig deep and to find out the truth. And his wife became a Christian. And he was so upset about this newfound Christianity of his wife, he set out to write a paper to disprove in his investigative journalism that Christ ever existed. And in doing so, he became a Christ follower himself. He wrote some great books. If you're a skeptic here today, or you're married to a skeptic, or have skeptic as kids, or skeptics as friends, really any book by Lee Strobel, I would highly recommend to you. And a few weeks into this journey, when Lee Strobel was beginning to wrestle, is there a God? Is, is there a Jesus? Is there a Christ who went to a cross and was raised again? He wrote down his prayer, and he shared this prayer in the very first book that he wrote. I want you to see the prayer on the screen behind me. Here's what Lee Strobel said as he recounted a prayer halfway into his research. God, I don't even believe you're there. But if you are, I want to find you. I want to know the truth. If you are real, please show yourself to me. I would plead with any skeptic here this morning to pray that prayer. It's an audaciously bold prayer. And let me tell you this, God loves to answer it. So if you're seeking today, you're searching today, you're doubting today, I would say that prayer on the screen behind me is a great place to start and then just follow the trail of evidence. God, if you are there, I wanna know the truth. Would you please show yourself to me? And here's the last thing I want you to see. Hope showed up in a place of grief. It showed up in a place of fear. It showed up in a place of doubt. And lastly, please see this. Hope showed up in a place of death. Poll after poll in our nation says that death is what we're most fearful of. We're afraid of, of, of what's next, of what will happen, what will death be like? What will the separation be like? What will that last breath be like? What, what happens after I die? It is the number one question of Americans. The number one fear. What is death all about and what's gonna happen to me? So let's pick this up. In fact, before I say it, before I read it, let me say this. Isn't it interesting that the most defining event in Christianity took place in a cemetery. Hope loved to show up in a place of death. Look at John chapter 20, the last few verses of this chapter. Now Jesus did many other signs as if this were not enough in the presence of the disciples, which are not even written in this book, but these, what is written in the gospel of John especially, all the gospels, but these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, he is the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When you believe in this resurrected Jesus, you believe that he is the son of God. Scripture itself says that in whatever place of death you might be in, he will bring life. He'll bring it in his name. I would ask, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, a non-believer, a skeptic, a doubter, I would ask you today to give your life to Jesus. To turn from your sin, to turn from your past, 
and to look to Jesus for forgiveness. What does it say right here that by believing him, you might have life in his name. Christ's resurrection, you can write this down, remember this with me today. Christ's resurrection spills hope, not just because he lives, but because God's mercy, we can also live. See, this is the promise of resurrection morning. This is the hope of Easter. Not just that Jesus Christ was raised to new life, but you too, friend, you too can be raised to new life. If you'll turn to Jesus and believe. We had one this morning in the first gathering. Turned to Jesus and believed. What the Bible says about that young man, he is now a brand new creation in Christ. All the old is gone and behold, everything is new. I'm asking you today, have you turned your life to Jesus and believed in him? Because it's not just his resurrection, that's the event of the, of the history of the world. I'm asking about your life. For Christians here today, just be encouraged one more Easter Sunday morning. We are reminded of the immensity of God's love and the irreversibility of Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you bow your head with me, please, as we pray? Father, we thank you for your presence and your grace and the life that you have given to those who are here today who are in Christ. And Jesus, when we believe that you are the promised one, the resurrected king, the son of God, we'll have life where there's been death. We'll have, have hope where there's been hopelessness. But when we believe in his name, as it says here in the gospel of John, in his name. So Jesus, your resurrection, it spells hope not just because you're alive, but because we can live by your mercy. So Father, we pray now that you would do a work in people's lives in this place now. In your name, we pray. Amen.